I think there's a strong case to be made that AI so far cannot necessarily match a human brain in terms of ideas for future possibilities because it mostly works off of past data, right? That's good. I'm happy about that. But for the rest, in terms of how much we're seeing already from brands, it's an overcrowded market and an overcrowded market makes a lot of noise. Hi, this is The Marketing Meeting and I'm your host, Etir Eraslan. Every two weeks, I meet with experts and we talk about topics related to brands, marketing and businesses. We sometimes add random lifestyle topics too. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the new episode of The Marketing Meeting. My guest today is Steph Egger. Steph is a brand strategist with a background in human sciences, linguistics, and communications. Welcome to the show, Steph. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a while since my last podcast. I gave a little break because I was completely immersed in a strategy project. And At each project, I have the chance to question my process a bit. Do I follow the correct methodology or can there be a better way to make it faster? Or all these questions and concerns that you build up on your mind. I just recently finished my strategy work. This is a good time to speak to another brand strategist and get to know their process. I would like to ask you, when you are starting a new brand strategy project, is there a process that you follow? Or can you give maybe a step-by-step simple path for people that never done it before? I don't know about simple path, right? Strategy is pretty complex. It shouldn't be complicated, but it is complex, right? The same, same, but different a little bit. I guess the first thing I would do is try and define the scope of work. And that's not just with strategy, but that's really with any project, right? So just making sure that you understand what kind of problem you're trying to solve and then why does it matter? Is it the right problem to solve? And how do we imagine doing this, right? So figuring out kind of the sandbox we're going to play in, I think is step number one, really. And it might be actually what matters most to any strategic project because if you don't have the right problem, then your solution doesn't matter basically, because you're not going to move the needle, right? You're not going to make stride. You're not going to grow. You're not going to bring in more revenue, or you might, but it might be out of sheer luck. So that's the first thing I would say, scope of work, problem framing. There's different words for it, I guess. Is it identifying the problem for that brand itself or for the customers? Can you give an example to that? Yeah, so I meant more for the company itself. For the business itself, just figuring out where they are at the time and what they're asking for and why does that matter and how, where do they want to go and why is that important, right? So it's more in terms of company and business goals. What are we trying to achieve? I think that's the first step. And then, of course, you get into what the customer needs. You figure that out with the next step, which is for me, but for a lot of people too in that field which is research, right? Whether that's desktop research, field trip, active listening on social media, whatever that looks like. Researching, and I typically use a pretty well-known framework, which is the four Cs. So consumer, company, competition, and culture. You evaluate those four elements. You dig 
for data, right? You dig deep and you go look for information that you can then use to find an insight, something that gives you a new perspective on things, gives you a new angle to solve the problem you've set up in the problem framing and the scope of work step that you took at the beginning of your brand strategy project, if you want to call it that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. To ask another question here, you said culture. Is that the culture of the company or the culture and community of the consumer? Uh, and if it's the culture of the company, how does it relate to the brand strategy? Right. So the culture of the company would typically come in the company side of things of that quadrant, if we'd like, of the four C's. And in terms of culture, we're talking society. How does something, a product, a service fit into society, into the cultural trends at the moment and how they're evolving with time with changing micro and macro environments, right? So you just want to make sure that you're not completely out of sync with what's happening in the world at the time. I think that matters too. So basically, it's not the company's culture. It's the culture that the brand is operating. Right. Yes, it's the culture the brand is operating. Yes, absolutely. So we have the scope of the work. We have the four C's, and that's the research process. And then what is next? Next step would be, for me at least, once again, is about positioning. It's about finding your uniqueness as a company in your field. Everything you've done so far with the research is going to help inform where you stand and how you can position yourself better in relation to those four C's, consumer competition, culture, and your own self, your own company, right? And here it's really about, I use this phrase a lot, but digging deep into who you are as a company, what do you do, who do you serve, and why it matters, right? And really not shying away from the inconvenient truths about your product, your service, your approach, your people, maybe also who you serve. There could be inconvenient truths about, about the people you serve, but don't shy away from them and just figure out exactly what you can leverage right, to your advantage so you can position yourself as the solution. And also so you can outmaneuver your competition because you're probably not the only one serving those people you're probably not the only one delivering the type of products and services you deliver if you are congratulations you're one of the very few i think it is a really like a overcrowded market right marketplace i think most services and most products like we talk a big deal about innovation category creation right category design and all this which is fine but at the end of the day innovation happens incrementally and very slowly, I think. Very rarely do we see something that's out of left field, completely disrupt category. And I think we're going to be talking about this later on this episode, but sometimes innovation is not even about really coming up with a new product or innovating in terms of engineering a new product or service, but it's just about putting a twist on something that exists already. So after the brand positioning work, is there any other step that you take after defining the brand positioning of a company? Once you kind of have an idea of where your strengths lie, I think the next organic step would be to just develop an identity around this, right? 
And it's kind of a give and take, actually. I don't think there necessarily has to be like, okay, we need to first figure out our strengths and then based our identity and our communication off of that. You can do the opposite, right? You can say, hey, I want to be perceived as this. I want people to perceive this as my strengths. And I know this goes against what most people say, but sometimes it's really about just designing your strategic advantage, right? And sometimes you don't have one, right? So you spend a lot of time digging into your uniqueness your position, and how you can position yourself and you figure out, well, we're not different in any kind of ways. So then comes the time to figure it out. And so that's what I meant where it doesn't have to be this step-by-step linear model, right? But identity development, I think, follows positioning often still. And by identity development, what I mean is you're really going to go not just into the visual and verbal identity, so copy, tone of voice, logos, visuals, all that, but also your purpose, why you're in business beyond making money. So you can connect with people a little easier. You can give them a sense of like what you stand for so they can relate to you too. And then you're going to develop from the purpose, you're going to develop a vision, a mission, values. Those values are going to inform how you need to behave internally as a team and externally, how you can communicate about that behavior too. And then like I just said, you're going to communicate a whole lot. So it's touch points. It's campaigns, all that good stuff that at the end of the day matters a whole lot because no one's going to come looking for you. We've said earlier that like it's an overcrowded market. No one's going to come looking for you. That's why so many people rely almost solely on paid marketing, right? On paid advertising because you need to go, you need to increase your reach as a brand, as a business. So you acquire more customers and so you stay top of mind. Can you give a nice brand positioning example so that people who are listening can relate to it? The one that comes to mind right away for me is liquid death. And I know it's been talked about over and over and over again, but there's a reason why. I think it's because it stands for something and what it stands for is very easily recognizable by anyone, almost. Now, there are a few people I've realized that don't know about Liquid Death still, even though it's made a lot of noise ever since their valuation back in November last year. But I think it's just their position as a water brand that doesn't care about the typical water category principles uh, is, is very apparent in everything they do, in their communications, in their packaging, in their values. It's effortless. So that's why it's an example I like to use right now. I don't know if you have one in mind. But I mean, Liquid Debt is a nice example, although I'm surprised that I've heard about Liquid Debt one year ago when I moved to US. Can you imagine that? I'm in the marketing business. I follow trends, ads, and so on. And back in Europe, I had no clue who Liquid Debt was. So when I moved to US, I suddenly started, because also in November last year, as you said, they did a significant leap. That's a very nice example. The examples that I can give is always from Nike as my old school. 
very good positioning example, also repositioning example that I can give from there because I know the core of the business. I used to work on women's brand sites, which is anything related to women. So I think 10 years ago, the target and the positioning of Nike towards women category was we were targeting an age between 19 to 21. It's not only about demographics, of course, but at a different type of consumer, which I'm not going to share too much details. But after a while, the insights show that women actually starts or drop, adopts sports habits earlier than they go to college. So once they're at the college, most of their habits and everything is already structured. And then they also see that social media is getting adopted from young people and so on. So they say, okay, 1921 is already too late. We're going to reposition our brand to target actually 16 year of modern sports of fitness. And that's the sweet spot that we targeted, which meant that all the organization who's doing women's are now positioned to talk to the 16-year-old girl rather than the 19-year-old woman. So that's a huge shift because their media channels are different, their their tone of voice are different, the things that you can connect to them are different. If you do a grassroots activity, it shouldn't be in college, it should be back in the school, and sometimes you need to collaborate with the parents because they are already small. So that's a good repositioning example that I can give uh, from Nike. No, that's a tremendous example. And thank you for playing your role when I flipped it on you. Yeah, that's good. Your take on liquid death is actually a good point that maybe we fail to mention at times when we just talk about brands like this, especially in the States. I have heard that Europeans did not necessarily hear about liquid death even still now to this day. So that might not be the best example. Now it just shows that positioning is also about who you're targeting and who you're serving. And you cannot, or it is very difficult and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy and efforts and money to be a world-recognized brand, I think, as is Nike, as is Coca-Cola, they have their positioning, of course, but it took them a while. And of course, now the availability plays into it too, the, the fact that they're available physically and mentally with advertising in any market, any country speaks to their efforts in positioning themselves as the biggest brands. But it's a fair point about Liquid Death that actually, yeah, makes me just realize or I want to help people realize more positioning is also about saying no to a certain type of people and being okay with it. Yeah, I think in that sense, what you called out as the four C's that we do at the very beginning of the strategy process is important because like the culture part, because you cannot, let's say, liquid that, the example is that. You cannot push the same message globally and expect that people will notice your brand or will appreciate or will connect. That's why brands like Nike, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or some other global brands where they do real brand marketing, they do localization. They just only push the same message all around. Some of the things are adopted by market. But when they want to do something real local and culturally relevant, then they just deep dive into the insights of that community. 
and try to find those moments and so on. So that's why I think culture is quite important because I believe that if liquid debt is would push the same message to a country, let's say, like Turkey, it may not resonate. And also, it also depends on the availability as well. I mean, so it's not only about marketing and brand marketing and communications that you do. It's also about the physical availability in the marketplace. Absolutely. I mean, if they don't see you, they have no clue about your product. One more question about the strategy process, because you mentioned mission, vision, and so on. What are some of the fundamentals and non-fundamentals of a brand strategy work? Because sometimes when there's mission, vision, objectives, strategic priorities, even myself can get lost. And I'm still like, when I hear mission, mission, I was like, okay, mission is, <laughs> and vision is. <laughs> so could you tell me, what if a brand strategy framework is missing vision? Uh, but it has a mission. What's it going to do? Is the company going to implode, right? It doesn't have a vision. <laughs> or let's say maybe they have a vision, but right. they don't have a mission or something. Right. Like yeah, no, no, I, I get what you mean. Fast forward through all those elements. It was kind of to give the overview of what could typically go into a brand strategy project and a final presentation, I guess, or at least almost training document, right? To align your teams internally and say, okay, this is what we do. This is why, this is where we want to go. This is how, et cetera, et cetera. So are there any truly fundamental things with a brand strategy? I'm not sure. I'm going to be honest. It really depends once again on the scope of work and the problem that you frame and what you want to do. I think though with any project in terms of when you discuss strategy, it's about defining a highly desirable future outcome and how you're going to get there and why do you want to get there. So those three elements matter the most. So in that sense, I would go back to problem framing and reframing, then defining some sort of opportunity that it creates for you in your market, naming and framing a big idea on how to solve the problem and then explaining the strategic advantage it creates that this big idea that you have for your brand strategy right and then have a rollout plan of like okay this is how we can move forward because it's easy to say like oh i have this big grand idea and then if someone asks you like well how do we do it you kind of have to at least be able to say well we could do this 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 and that it's going to take about this amount of time and it should cost about this much, right? At least have a tiny bit of an idea of how you can roll that out, how you can activate your strategic advantage, if that makes sense. I realize I kind of went high level on you with the fundamentals. No, right? that's all right. <laughs> so let's discuss maybe the dilemma of brand and marketing in 2023, the hot topic of all. So now we have AI social media algorithms, short attention spans, and et cetera, et cetera. And everyone is copy-pasting anything in less than 24 hours. What's your take on this? How should a brand approach marketing in 2023? Well, my take first off on AI and everything, how it's evolving is as a consumer and as a, I guess, content creator, as much as I'm not a fan of the word, I don't necessarily appreciate it that much. I've already had people comment on my posts on LinkedIn, for example, with, well, actually it wasn't people commenting, it was AI. And there's a typical framework, right? Of 
the AI takes what was said in your post and then kind of restructures it. And then maybe the commenter adds a little bit of their own juice, but that's about it. And you read the comment and you're like, well, that's exactly what I said in my post. So what are you saying here? Anyway, so as a consumer, I'm not too happy about how things are evolving. And I'm kind of pessimistic about the whole thing, I have to say. And I'm not sure exactly how we can fight this. There's a lot of talk about create better and good content campaigns, focus on the strategic idea. So it's everything that works with me and my skills and what I do professionally. So of course, I'm happy about that. I think there's a strong case to be made that AI so far cannot necessarily match a human brain in terms of ideas for future possibilities because it mostly works off of past data, right? That's good. I'm happy about that. But for the rest, in terms of how much we're seeing already from brands, it's an overcrowded market and an overcrowded market makes a lot of noise, right? For anyone, for you, for me, any customer, consumer, people in general, we are bombarded by messages and communications all the time. So I don't think that's where I'm very pessimistic. I don't think that that is going to help in any way. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm ranting right now and rambling, but the shortening of the attention. I can admire also. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Please help me. I'm not 100% confident on my answers as well, because this is something that I think about it every day. Because I also think about it when I'm a customer myself, such as various short example of what I went through over the weekend is that Whole Foods has a discount of 33% in beauty section till I think tomorrow or something like that. I need to buy a cream and they have really nice creams and so on. And I said, okay, I went to the store and I said, okay, I mean, there are like so many brands, prices are differentiator. I mean, if I want to buy something nice, I should be buying something expensive. But then at the same price range, there are three brands that looks promising, right? And then I said, okay, let me go home and make a search on this. And I came home and I started searching and I said, okay, where do I look? If I do a search on Google, I end up in the editorial content. Probably they paid someone and then that person is making a comment about the product and so on. And then I said, okay, let me go to the user comments, which is again, okay, user comments. I don't know which one is correct because it might be also paid. Right. <laughs> and then the last step that I went through was that I decided that I need to check the environmental friendly and also there's some certain elements that are used in the creams. There's a website, governmental website actually, that gives every product from one to 10 rating. And I decided to look into that and said, okay, if it's good, then it's between the range of one to five. And I just checked every product and which one is ranking high, then I... <laughs> And I went and go ahead. And then I was into two brands. And then within those two brands, I went to the store stuff and I said, okay, which one is better? <laughs> and the girl said, I don't know. I haven't used this, but this one is the one that everyone's asking for. And I said, okay, let me get that one. <laughs> so you know what I mean? I also don't know where to go as a customer to search if that brand is good or not. So the marketplace is very cluttered. Yes, marketing is changing, in my opinion. It's changing really fast. But the things that are changing is actually not the fundamentals. It's the 
media channels, tactics, tools that we are using are changing. So what I mean by fundamentals is that, yeah, just like we went through that, you have to go through the strategy process. You need to know your customer, you need to know the industry, you need to know the tension, and you build a strategy and you build a plan based on that. That's the fundamentals that is not changing. Every brand needs to do that. What is changing is the next step when you have the brand plan, you need to define the customer journey. So where do they shop? That's changing. How is their customer's journey looking like? That's changing. And you need to know that. And also the other thing is awesome media channels, which is evolving every day. Instagram might be a good media channel to invest a few years back, but it may not be now or the influencers. And the other thing is what are the tools? Tools are changing as well. Can you use AI? Can you use automation and so on? So my idea is that, yes, you have to be agile and you have to follow what's changing in terms of tactics, tools, and et cetera, or media channels. But you also need to make sure that you have a strategy and you need to remind that strategy to yourself. And it's not only about staying agile and relevant, it's also staying mindful. Because if you copy paste, if you start forgetting about your strategy and plan and copy paste another brand, then you're losing it. I mean, because if you copy paste in 24 hours, then on the 25th hour, it's already gone. That tactic is not working any longer, something like that. So that's why I just like what I'm trying to do as a marketer when I work with brands and I prepare a plan is just making sure that these channels, tactics, I follow them. But at every meeting, I always go back to the strategy and the brand plan in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you touch on something very interesting. The availability matters a whole lot. And then the fundamentals, of course, of how we work as humans, right? Being in alignment with this. But then the one thing you mentioned that caught my attention really was the copyable or uncopyable approach and communication and marketing, right? And that's what positioning is about too. That's what having a good strategy is about is having an uncopyable way of outmaneuvering your competition, right? Making sure that if you do something, either you're ready for the next step to go even further in that in that disruptive or creative thinking, or it's something that no one will copy because they cannot copy it, basically, right? Because otherwise, people are just going to see that you're successful at this and do the same. And it's only going to take them even a shorter amount of time, depending on what we're talking about, because of tools like AI now that have made tremendous stride, of course. And of course, there's talks about how helpful it is as a personal assistant for strategists, for example, for the desktop research that we talked about, researching the four C's and all this. Yes, you can use those tools, of course, and even like for the visual aids when you're pitching your strategy as a strategist, once again, you can create more visually appealing pitches and presentations so it connects better emotionally with who you're talking to, who you're presenting to, right? And then as a business, of course, to go back to your question, I think you have to tune out the noise a little bit. You have to tune out the voice in your head that's going to tell you, hey, my competitors are out there 24-7 thanks to AI or thanks to whatever they're doing. And maybe what they're doing is not good, but you're like, hey, but I have to do something too. Because otherwise, they're going to be top of mind, not me, no matter how crappy their content is, for example. You have to tune that voice out and really focus on, like you said, just making sure you're in alignment with the media and channels of the time, the cultural trends, 
and then zagging when everybody's zigging. And also, it doesn't matter in any industry because every industry and every brand is unique. You are, for example, producing a very similar product within the same industry, with a competitor. And it doesn't mean that whatever they do, and if they are, for example, the competition is very strong, what they are doing exactly the same, you don't have to do that. And you cannot do that, actually, because your company is different. Your resources are different. That's why I think we are back to square one. That I think it's like a cliche now, but yeah, brand strategy work is important. But doing that brand strategy work also doesn't come with an AI because I see people working in big, big consultancy firms looking to AI when they're presenting their strategy work. I had a look because I was curious about that. I said, okay, let me check this out, how it's coming up. Because and I write it and some of the things really make sense. But for example, it gives me 10 options. All of them are so generic, right? It can also remind you, okay, I haven't taken this thing into place, into my mind, but you have to really declutter based on the uniqueness of the brand, of the company itself, which AI might not know. And then that person who is in the consultancy firm challenged me, okay, you should be briefing the AI in a better way. I mean, you should be giving all these inputs as a, okay, knowing the strengths of a company is also a strategic thing, right? I mean, if I'm briefing... AI, it's not only AI that will succeed, can succeed with a human at the end of the day. So anyway, I mean, like, I'll just leave the AI conversation behind because it's now quite boring. Never ending. It's like a shiny object that was there, but now we are already getting bored about the time. I personally got bored about the conversation about AI. But so thank you for sharing the step-by-step path. But I understand that it starts with the scope of the work. And then you have the four C's, company, culture, consumer, and competition. And then we move to brand positioning and coming up the fundamentals of a brand strategy. That's a good one. I think it's quite similar to what I do also. I didn't have shiny words of four C's, but I will keep that in mind because it sticks to the mind, really. No, it's a good one. It's typically used in the advertising world, mostly. But yeah. Scope of work, research with the four C's or anything, any type of research you do, positioning, developing the identity off of that, and then activating with touch points and campaigns, right? That's kind of the step-by-step. Yeah, especially the research part. I mean, if any brand strategist is listening to this, once you deep dive too much into the industry and the insights of the consumer industry and so on, then you see some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of brand strategy and positioning, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, Before we close the conversation, I have a few quick lifestyle questions that I would like to ask if you can answer them with short answers. So what's your favorite brand? So I'm a bit cynical with this, but because I'm a brand strategist, I don't have many, but Target is a good one. Europeans might not know it once again. I didn't know Target until I met my American wife. She told me about Target and then we moved to the States and I've lived the Target experience. They have good products. They have good customer service. They have good communications. They have a good visual and verbal identity. They just serve the customer in a very good way. So Target is really something that came up to mind. What is yours, if I may? I also don't have too many, but Aesop uh, is a, and I hope it will continue being a favorite brand. 
is a good friend. Uh, is a good friend. <laughs> is a good friend. Brand of mine. But <laughs> mm-hmm. well, that's good. Because so you consider uh, it like a friend. <laughs> Well, I mean, they have been acquired by L'Oreal, and I'm not sure if I will continue <laughs> considering it as a good friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. The reason is that, firstly, they use geranium a lot, which is geranium stands for Uttar in my language. My mom and dad, they were inspired by the plant geranium because they are agricultural engineers. So that's why I started. But I really like their visual tone and also verbal tone they really use incrementally nice tone in their copy and their stores are very well designed they also collaborate a lot with architects with designers with literature people also time to time i like that simple and meticulous way of approaching their brand in that way and i also love their product i've even go to there when i was in melbourne because they're from melbourne i even specifically go to their headquarters and take a picture of the building that's how much i love that brand that's how much but you I, mean, love them. I don't follow their social media if i'm in a cosmetics or beauty brand strategy process i always look to their content and try to get some inspiration from there the second question is what's your favorite place for coffee now you're in las vegas or yes. yeah I'll try to keep the answer shorter than the last one. Honestly, my favorite place for coffee is my kitchen table and watching my son play. I don't have much time to go out for coffee anymore. So I don't have that local coffee shop favorite of mine here in Vegas, at least. Used to in Switzerland, especially in Europe, there's more of a local coffee vibe, right? More options. In the States, you feel like it's a little harder to get to a good coffee place that is in Starbucks, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, how about the favorite podcast? Favorite podcast for me would be On Strategy Showcase with Fergus O'Carroll. I guess it's kind of a Bible of strategy, full of resources, full of case studies and examples and the top level strategists and directors of agencies and brands and companies talking about strategy whether advertising or positioning or brand or business as a whole. And I think as a strategist, yeah, it's incredibly valuable. And it's not only about the guests. It's also Fergus who moderates the conversation. I really enjoy listening to his podcast too. So last question is just one branding book or brand strategy book that you can suggest. It's just one. Only one. Just one. (laughs) Okay, I'll give you an option too. (laughs) (laughs) So the one I have in mind is Scramble by Marty Neumayer. It is actually a business thriller. Marty Neumayer wrote this. He has multiple books on brand strategy, of course. I have this one. Yes, Zag is tremendous. Yes, Zag is tremendous. And Scramble is a business thriller because he figured, well, I already wrote about business in those books, those whiteboard books, as he calls it. Let me tell a story. So it's more interesting for people to read about it. And so people understand maybe the process a little better. And I've only read it recently. Shame on me for not reading it earlier. I think any strategist and even anyone would enjoy this story, to be honest, and just dive a little deeper into like, oh, that's how you can do agile strategy, a strategic sprint to save a company that is on the brink of failing, let's say. So Scramble by Marty Newman. 
Yeah, I will check that scramble. I need a book now, so I will have a look at that. Thanks a lot for joining to the podcast. And I hope we'll have the chance to go through that brand strategy process in a project, maybe in the I future together. Absolutely. So that we get to uh, learn more about our methodologies. Yes, I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me.